Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Good evening um, to what I consider a very important show in my series of shows. Um, I will be repeating much of what I have said in earlier shows, uh, but I feel it can't. Uh, the topic can't be repeated too much, since the uh, forces of pseudo medicine and pseudo psychology continue to hollow out our democracy and and destroy the independence and the courage uh, uh, and the, continue to dehumanize all of the human beings that are being dehumanized by this vicious system of nonsense uh, that uh, continues to grow like some kind of a terrible cancer in our society. What I'm going to base my discussion on today uh, is depression as seen through the eyes of uh, Alan Francis. Now, Alan Francis, Dr. Alan Francis, is an emeritus professor and former chairman of psychiatry at Duke University and was the chairman of the task force that created the fourth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which now is the big book of bad names that rules, that literally rules the mental health industry. And I'm going to use his article, which appeared in the Sunday Opinion page of August 15, 2010, and I'm going to read it paragraph by paragraph uh, and issue a challenge to Dr. Francis and anybody else who, who would like to come on the air and discuss this topic with me. Uh, and it's called Good Grief. Right? So, Coronado, California. A startling suggestion is buried in the fine print describing the proposed changes for the fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, perhaps better known as the DSM-5, the book that will set the new boundary between mental disorder and normality. And for those of you who uh, know something about this, between the DSM-1, which listed 25 or so mental illnesses, and the DSM-4, which Dr. Allen, uh, Dr. Francis, has much to answer for uh, in that the help creating that monster, uh, that book had 250 or so mental illnesses. So the line between what is normal and what is sick in our society continues uh, to grow in favor of being sick. If the suggestion is adopted, I'm reading again from the article, if the suggestion is adopted, many people who experience completely normal grief could be mislabeled as having a psychiatric problem. Suppose your spouse or child died two weeks ago, and now you feel sad, take less interest and pleasure in things, have little appetite or energy, can't sleep well, and don't feel like going to work. In the proposal for the DSM-5, your condition would be diagnosed as a major depressive disorder. So if you're in a state of grief and you fit the symptoms of what is called major depressive disorder, you will be diagnosed as being sick. You're not in mourning, you're sick. And it's clear that Dr. Allen, uh, Dr. Francis, is upset about this. 
Suppose your spouse or child, uh, this would be a wholesale medicalization of normal emotion and would result in the overdiagnosis and overtreatment of people who would do just fine if left alone to grieve with family and friends as people always have. It is always a safe bet that the drug companies would quickly and greedily pounce on the opportunity to mount the campaign, a marketing blitz targeted to the bereaved and campaign to teach physicians how to treat mourning with a magic pill. Now, I totally agree with Dr. Francis, but what I don't agree with Dr. Francis is his separating grief from serious depression. The fact of the matter is, and I challenge any psychiatrist or Dr. Dr. Francis or anybody to come up with a medical test to differentiate between normal grief and serious depression. There is no such thing. In fact, if the patient's experiencing grief, if somebody in your family died and you went to the psychiatrist and described your grief and why you would go to a psychiatrist, I'll have to discuss a little later if you're in mourning, uh, uh, why you would do such a thing to yourself, why you would do such a disrespect for the family member or the child or the loved one who died is something that really needs to be discussed because what it does suggest is that you're so hooked in to this system that any kind of hap- unhappiness, any kind of misery that, that grows from the worst of the tragedies in your life is in fact a sickness that needs to be treated. But if you went to the psychiatrist, if you did such a thing, and you said, I need therapy within two weeks of the death of a child, rather than mourn that child, and we'll come back to that a little later, there would be no way to differentiate between you and what they would call a true ma- uh, major depressive disorder if you withheld the information that your child or your loved one had died. Hold that information back, and you'll be diagnosed major depressive disorder, and even Dr. Francis would have to agree with it. But there would be no way to differentiate between you and the supposedly truly sick individual. No way at all. No way, if you withheld that information. But even worse, what if you went with these same so-called symptoms of, of, of uh, uh, sadness and trouble sleeping or eating or overeating? Uh, what if you went with all of these so-called symptoms and nobody did die within two weeks? Maybe the death was something earlier in life. Maybe it had to do with other forms of loss than the loss of a loved one, the loss of your career, the loss of your health, the depression you feel as you watch your society die. What about the loss of your dignity, of your self-esteem? What, there, aren't there all manner of losses that are crucial and important to us as human beings that could put people into, into, into a so-called psychiatric depression? 
Uh, I've spoken about an individual I worked with many years ago uh, that, that has stuck with me, an individual who owned a business, and some of his workers engineered a holdup. Uh, and they gummed the back door so that uh, the criminal could come in and uh, uh, gain access while he was figuring out the day's receipts and preparing his deposit that for the next day's banking. And they held him up, but they didn't just hold him up. They put a gun to his head, and the guy with the gun said to him, if you don't kiss my shoes and beg for your life, I'm going to kill you. And he did. He kissed the man's shoes, and he, and he begged for his life. And afterwards, no matter how many people told him he had done the right thing, he had saved his life, that's what you're supposed to do under those circumstances. He grew more and more unhappy, depressed, filled with guilt, self-hatred, as we'll come to in a moment, a suicidal desire, desire to end his life. And I said to him, how come? And he said, I gave up my dignity. I lost my dignity as a human being, begging that animal, that piece of shit with a gun, for my life. And what I realize now is that my life wasn't worth giving up. My life wasn't worth saving if I lost my dignity if I lost my self-respect. Tell me, does anybody listening to this feel that maybe there is something to be said about the tragedy of a loss of something so essential to you as your dignity, your self-respect, or as we continue to work with him, this individual, his sense of manhood? Okay, let's continue. It is not that psychiatrists are in bed with the drug companies, as is often alleged. Dr. Francis, bullshit. The entire profession of psychiatry, or almost the entire profession, and now almost the entire profession of psychology, is in bed with the drug companies because these drug companies have balance books in the multi-multi-billions. And there is nothing wrong with trying to earn a living as a, as a mental health industry worker, as a psychiatrist, psychologist, or social worker. The problem is it is all too easy to become a spokesperson, to take money and gifts from these companies, uh, and, and then claim that you haven't given up your self-respect or your independent judgment where this is concerned. The fact of the matter is, Dr. Francis and companions, one of the main reasons you can't see that depression is not a medical disease, uh, however serious a problem it might be, is because of the amount of money that has now corrupted your entire field. The proposed change actually grows out of the best intentions. Yes, who said first that the road to hell is paved with the best intentions? Researchers point out that during bereavement, some people develop an enduring case of major depression, and clinicians hope that by identifying such cases early, they could help reduce the burdens of illness with treatment. Dr. Francis, when did a serious broken heart become an illness? 
Yes, as we'll see in a second, to have a broken heart can lead to all kinds of serious, serious life-threatening issues. When Romeo killed himself because he thought Juliet was died, had died, and when Juliet killed herself when she found Romeo dead, or was it vice versa? It doesn't matter. Were they sick? Or was this a tragedy? Or was this a case where people who are in love and can't see living beyond the fact that their loved one is gone want to die themselves? Why can't that be seen as normal human behavior, however painful it is for any of us to live through uh, such a a scene or live through a loved one who has decided to die when their mate or child has died. I have worked over my career, unfortunately, with people who have lost children. And there is no greater loss in the world. It's it's interesting. I had a a, uh, a colleague I worked with at the college who made a... uh, he gave a bereavement speech at the funeral of one of his secretaries who had lost a child due to drugs. And he said, there is only one condition in which we can partly accept the death of a child, and that is if a child dies in war. And then he tried to make the analogy that the child of this this woman, who was in deep bereavement and never fully came back psychologically, from the terrible loss that a mother especially experiences if a child dies, if that tragedy befalls her, uh, and said this was a war, the war on drugs had taken her child. I won't argue or deal with that. Uh, I think his analogy is not a good one. It's not the same as soldiers defending their country, uh, but that's okay. The fact of the matter is for most of the people I've worked with, who children died, particularly if they committed suicide, the devastation is something uh, that is unbearable to the parents. Most of the marriages break up. Most of the individuals, particularly the men, turn to drugs and alcohol. And suicide becomes an option for those who can no longer bear the tragedies, or as Hamlet put it, uh, Shakespeare put it through Hamlet's mouth, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. I'm sorry. It is sad, it is tragic to watch, but it is not an illness, and there are no medical tests now or have ever been to suggest it is a true illness. It is a lie, Dr. Francis. It is a lie, and it puts you in cahoots with the drug companies who are hollowing out all of us when we're unhappy or sad or anxious. My next show, I will deal with anxiety. Uh, a critically important emotion that's been turned into a sickness with their drugs and their chemicals. This, this approach, we continue, could help those grievers who have severe and potentially dangerous symptoms, for example, delusional guilt over things done or not done for the deceased, suicidal desires to join the lost loved one, morbid preoccupation with worthlessness, restless agitation, drastic weight loss, or a complete inability to function. When things get this bad, the quick 
the need for a quick diagnosis and immediate treatment is obvious. Obvious to who? These people are in great grief. They are not sick. They don't need to be treated. They need to be supported. They need to be helped to grieve and mourn and get through this tragedy to whatever degree they can. And if they can't, who are any of us to say to a human experiencing such terrible, terrible loss and tragedy that you're sick and you need to be seen by a doctor or somebody who is going to tell you you're sick and then claim you're cured if you're given drugs or even therapy. This, uh, let's continue. When things get yeah okay when things get this bad the need for quick diagnosis is obvious but people with such symptoms are rare and their condition can be diagnosed using the criteria for major depression provided in the current manual of the DSM-4, the current bullshit. I go on. Then there would be the expense and the potentially harmful side effects of unnecessary medical treatment. Sorry, Dr. Francis. Every drug given to every patient by every doctor in this society is an unnecessary medical expense. It is not that these drugs don't help people feel better. So does alcohol, so does marijuana, so does heroin, so does morphine, so does all, all of the drugs that people all over the world take to make the burden of their life easier. But we won't admit that alcohol or marijuana or, or heroin or, or cocaine is a medicine. That's a bad drug. No. They're no worse and no more dangerous than the nonsense that is prescribed by your field, Dr. Francis, in the name of treating a medical illness. I continue. Because almost everyone recovers from grief given time, I have to spread this out. Over time, and support this treatment would undoubtedly have the highest placebo response rate in medical history. Well, the fact of the matter is, all of these recoveries are placebo responses because the person isn't sick, they're just being drugged. After recovering while taking a useless pill, people would assume it was the drug that made them better and would be reluctant to stop taking it. It is unbearable to me to think about the number of people who are now addicted to these psychiatric medicines because they feel they will, quote, relapse into their illness if, in fact, they gave up these drugs. Consequently, many normal grievers would stay on a useless medication for the long haul, even though it would likely cause them more harm than good. The bereaved would also lose the benefits that accrue from letting grief take its natural course. What might these be? Well, no one can say exactly. But grieving is an unavoidable part of life. The necessary price we all pay 
for having the ability to love other people. Our lives consist of a series of attachments and inevitable losses, and evolution has given us the emotional tools to handle both. Hurrah, Dr. Francis, but read a little of the literature that suggests the function of mourning. If you don't mourn, and this seems to be an evolutionary device, if you don't mourn, and mourning being a process by which you give up the bond, not the memory, not the love, but the bond that ties you to the person you have lost, you can't get on with your life, and you can't form new love relationships, which then sustain, enhance, and nourish us as human beings. So that mourning has a biological or an evolutionary function. It is not an illness. It should never be called an illness. And the fact that somebody can't get over their mourning, however, however sad that is, however potentially dangerous it is, does not mean it's a sickness to be treated. The fact is, I have worked with people over my entire career who could not get over the loss, certain losses. I have spoken on this show earlier of another woman who stays in my mind, sticks there. She was a young girl of about 10 or 11 when all of her family was escorted by the Nazis to Auschwitz. She was made a housemaid, her entire family, all of her mother, her father, sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, everybody from the village she lived in was exterminated as a disease. And by the way, just as an aside, where did the Nazis get this idea that people are diseases? From America, from the geneticists, from the individuals in the 30s and 40s who believed that genetics can demonstrate who is superior and who is inferior. It doesn't stop. It continues. And until poor Dr. Francis understands the primary mistake of the DSM and all who follow it, that you are not genetically inferior, there's no evidence for it, or medically sick, however tragic your life is and however you deal with it, including suicide, is not an illness. We're going to continue to undermine and continue to damage individuals and hurt the collective society in which we live. So, you have to mourn. And he recognizes that these pills, that these drugs, that the very fact of calling somebody sick when they're mourning and trying to work through a terrible loss so they can get on with their life. And again, let me say this, not to forget, not to give up the memory of those who loved, but to have love again in their life, which is as necessary as air and food and a good bed to sleep in. In this, we are not unique, I continue reading. Chimpanzees, elephants, and other mammals have their own ways of mourning. I'm surprised that psychiatry hasn't gotten around to drugging these animals, although they're now drugging dogs, pets. 
A pet that's left alone for 12 or 14 hours a day when it's a pack animal and really can't be left alone are now being given Prozac and other drugs to shut down the, un, the capacity of the brain to feel the normal emotional processes of loss, separation, and loneliness that these animals are feeling. Chimpanzees, oh yes, humans have developed complicated and culturally determined grieving rituals that no doubt date back from at least as far back as the Neanderthal burial pits that were consecrated ten thousands of years ago. It is essential, not unhealthy, for us to grieve when confronted by the death of someone we love. And it is not unhealthy when we grieve the loss of our self-esteem, of our lives in some significant way, of our dignity, and there is no medical way of differentiating between the two. So Dr. Francis, recognize it and get on the boat. None of the people you're talking about here, that your profession now wants to expand exponentially are sick and in need of drugs, unless they want to take drugs. And that's another story, because I'd like to see us free people to take whatever drug they damn well would please if they want them to make the mistake of trying to deal with their life simply with drugs. Quote, again, turning bereavement into major depression would substitute a shallow, Johnny-come-lately medical ritual for the sacred mourning rites that have survived for the millenniums. To slap on a diagnosis and prescribe a pill would be to reduce the dignity of life lost and the broken heart left behind. Psychiatry should instead tread lightly and only when it is on solid footing. Doctor, you're never on solid footing. I applaud your saying this. And boy, are they going to come and kick your ass for having dared to say this because of the drugs that are not going to be sold if you're listened to. But I don't have any doubt. You will not be listened to. You will be shunned. They will say, well, you've gotten old, you're retired, you're weak in the head. They will diagnose you just like any of us are diagnosed when we dare question the, the wisdom of the DSM and all of the nonsense that now operates in the mental health industry, turning normal human life and the responses to difficulty and tragedy into sickness and pseudo-illness. They're going to come for you, doctor. I have no doubt about this. There is still time to keep the suggested change from entering the DSM-5, which would not be published until May 2013. The task force preparing the new manual could adopt a more cautious and modest estimation of the reach of psychiatry and its appropriate grasp. Yes, they could do that. I have no doubt that the money that is now funneling in to the DSM-5 from the drug companies will prevent that from happening. But if people really wanted to do what's appropriate for psychiatry, clinical psychology, clinical social work, and all those who have hopped on board the DSM, they'd shut the damn enterprise down and recognize that the help and understanding they could help individuals would be totally without diagnosis and without pseudo-medical intervention. I don't want the field to go away. Some, I've said this before. Some of the best helpers 
for people have been, in my life, have been psychiatrists. But they have now largely disappeared in favor of psychopharmacologists. And they are, I'm sorry, Dr. Francis, totally under the control and the, and the payment provided by the drug companies. It is a disaster to the individual's uh, in our society and for the society at large. It has cheapened us. It has taken, as you put it, sacred rights and turned them into silly, a silly season, into, into nothing, hollowed out, empty ritual. For the few bereaved who are severely impaired or the risk of suicide, doctors can apply re uh, readily can already apply the diagnosis of major depression. No, I'm sorry. Suicide, a very, very serious problem. Anybody who has lived through a suicide, and we lost, I talked before about uh, parents who lose a child, uh, perhaps the worst thing a child can do to a parent is commit suicide. The guilt, the, the onerous, heavy uh, uh, burden of why did my child uh, die at their own hand what is it that we could have done or done differently in raising this child that they would have embraced life rather than embraced death serious serious problem but in many societies suicide is recognized as a normal human behavior however unhappy the consequences in ours, suicide, for those of us who are Jewish, uh, Christian is a severe sin. And I have said many times before, the DSM is nothing more than the psychiatric assessment of their view of sin. Pseudo-sin turned into uh, uh, a medical diagnosis. It is time it stopped. Dr. Francis, I'd love to have a drink with you sometime. Uh, I respect you much more now for having written this article than I did while you were uh, uh, on the book of bad names, the DSM-4. Uh, uh, I, I, I think that book is atrocious. I think it is dishonest. Uh, uh, in my field, and even if I, and I, I have to admit, I have to make a confession here, I have just opened an office here in Florida, and I will be seeing individuals, and I will be accepting Medicare. I got myself a Medicare number, because nobody, and I tried this, uh, very few people will be able to pay out of pocket without third-party payment uh, uh, the abil economic ability to see me but I will have to once again enter into a lie and use the DSM because Medicare will not pay unless I put down a diagnosis. And one of the more difficult things I will have to work through with my clients is why they and I will go into collusion and lie about the diagnosis as a necessary end, recognizing that lying is really what causes the great preponderance of what we call mental illness, the lying we do to each other and 
very often, and especially the lying we do to ourselves. So, Dr. Francis, let's hoist the glass together, uh, good, nice red wine, have a dinner, um, and, and uh, I would try to convince you face-to-face that uh, what the step you've taken is not enough because you will not repudiate the idea that suicide or depression or all of the other various forms of, of, Ill, of, of uh, so-called depression and mental illness, including anxieties, so-called schizophrenia, etc., have no proof at all that they're rooted in any medical condition, not neurological, not biochemical, not, not anything. So, I have said what I wanted to say. I gave myself 45 minutes. According to the, uh, my switchboard, I have 12 more minutes. I don't know who has heard this. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to call in. I would love to have a discussion with somebody in the remaining 11 minutes. Otherwise, uh, I will end the show. Uh, I will do a show next week, again, Tuesday. Uh, I will try very hard to keep Tuesday at 8 o'clock to be the time of my show. I keep asking uh, Blog Talk Radio to feature my shows, but I don't have the number of callers that I need to do this. Uh, Most of the people who seem to follow the show are individuals uh, who have their own shows on Blog Talk Radio. Um, uh, I may go to premium. I may try all kinds of different things because at this point it really has become important to me to reach a larger audience. Uh, When I read this, uh, what the DSM is going to do to people uh, in the next edition, which will apparently be even more dishonest and more atrocious than the DSM-4 in the spreading of, of drugs, psychiatric drugs, serious brain disabling, brain damaging, physically harming drugs, uh, which uh, we, we, we recognize as drugs never really solving the terrible, difficult problems that life brings us. So, I will stay on the air for another moment or so. And what, I had 45, I did 35 minutes. That's okay, that's fine. By the way, anybody who listens to this show, please leave a, uh, if you like it, or even if you don't like it, leave a comment. Make a comment when you've, after you've listened to it or however part you've listened to it. Um, I, hope, I hope that you will recognize uh, and, and give it a five rating because I really can't increase the uh, listenership of this show without the help of my listeners. After all, it is the audience uh, of any uh, uh, individual who comes to the public as a teacher or as an entertainer or in any other function who uh, determines the success or the failure of that individual. Uh, Let me go back. You know, since I have nine more minutes, uh, we have so, as a society, been boondoggled into believing that unhappiness is a sickness that uh, we have allowed ourselves as individuals and as a society to be hollowed out by big business interests, by money, by entertainment, 
by uh, uh, individuals who are uh, in the public eye. Celebrity seems to be everything. And I'm not against celebrity. Uh, I enjoy many of the celebrities I see on television or in the movies. I enjoy and I participate in basic culture, the culture we live in. It's just that when there is nothing but that, when there is nothing but this babble, unexamined babble that hollows us out and cheapens us and makes us, un- uh, makes us afraid to examine tragedy or to examine difficulty, uh, to deal with all of the dangers around us as individuals and as a society that I fear for my children and my grandchildren and myself, my wife, and all around me. So, if you disagree with me, come on the air and discuss it with me if, if that would be your will. I would love to. Uh, I, I do not intim- in, in, intimidate. I don't call names. I do get passionate about what I believe and when I create my arguments. Uh, but uh, you'll survive if you want to disagree, and maybe you'll convince me to do a show in which I uh, apologize for the shows I have been doing for several years on Blog Talk Radio, uh, in which I attack the psychiatric industry and the direction it has taken. Okay. I'm going to hang up now. I have a little end-of-show app here, and I'm going to click it. And nobody else is here. So, good night, and take care.